This is Brand Science, the podcast. Nice work. Unbelievable. Sponge Jam. Hot Marks Gone Fast. And a cigarette. Welcome to Brand Science, the podcast. Today, we talk with one of the leading voiceover and animation talents in North America. And I'm proud to say a longtime friend, Tony Daniels. As we talk about in the interview, Tony is a triple threat, and then some. He's a man of a thousand voices and accents, but also a writer, musician, a producer, and one of the best networkers I've ever known. He's the voice of Tony the Tiger in Canada, and one of the imaging voices of CBC Radio and Television in Canada, and he's voiced thousands of cartoons, and has added on-screen actor to his resume, playing the part of Fat Elvis in Erie, Indiana. And he appeared on HBO's High Maintenance, playing the part of, you guessed it, a voice guy. Full disclosure, we got backlogged with Pandemic, and this interview was recorded last year. How are you, Tony? <laughs> Hi, Tim. God, I, it's been a long time. It sure has. You know, I have known you since 1986, and uh, I know, I know. That's right. And uh, I remember you would call into the radio station uh, I was working at at the time in St. Catharines. And uh, there, was right. a, there was a 1-800 line. You would call in. And you would you wouldn't say hi. My name's Tony, and uh, you know I do these cool voices. You would just go right into the voices, these amazing voices, and these characters. And I, uh, I, I was bored. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was working for Bell Canada at the time as a tech. I, I know, I know, engineering we'll, guy. Right? Yeah, we'll we'll get to that in just a sec. Um, but you were so talented and so quick witted that eventually we started writing bits together. And uh, I remember my boss at the time said to me, who is this guy? Eric. And uh, Eric Samuels. And, yeah. And uh, and I said, oh, he's this guy who phones in on the 1-800 line. He's super freaking funny. <laughs> and he said, yeah, okay, sure. We'll roll with it. Well, I like coming to see you at the radio station. Yeah. Because you just go, watch this. You used to hey, a big it. shout out to the fish and chips company. And boom, we'd have fish and chips for lunch. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You actually started driving from Toronto to St. Catharines. You would sit in on the show and yep. we would do these bits together. And it was just such a hoot. And uh, do you remember the, the, the one character that you did? Uh, the Queen uh, Mother. That's right. From the Buckingham Palace <laughs> yeah. of Pancakes. In North Tonawanda. North Tonawanda, yeah. We had a good time. <laughs> now, Timmy, Timmy used to tell me that I, I was his favorite. Remember, used to get complaints from people calling in going, I'm driving around North Tonawanda. I can't find the Buckingham Palace of Pancakes. <laughs> It's I mean, true. there's no GPS back then. It's true. Oh, yeah, that was my favorite character for sure. Yeah. And um, so you did all these voices, but I then I found out that you were also doing voices for just about every morning show in Toronto at the time. I mean, I, I've been hanging out with the Q guys, you know, since the Scruff days. The Q one hundred and seven, yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then um, I became like um, when I was about twelve or eleven. Tom Rivers had come into this bar I was playing at. And he goes, I want you on my radio show. You know, and I was like, Ooh, that Tom actually Rivers. sounds like Tom. Yeah. Hey, big Tom Rivers. I'm dead now, but it's okay. <laughs> uh, anyways, <laughs> no, we had a big fight before he passed. Oh, anyway, oh that's too but, bad. But we cemented our friendship again. Yeah. No, but, he was, uh, he was a, an awesome uh, yeah. uh, talent. He was an American who ran away during the war. Oh, did you know that? I did yeah, not Tom. know he was a draft dodger. Yeah. Oh. Tom. Uh, and then he did some time up in Alaska uh, for a while after they lifted the, um, um, you know, the, um, what was that called? The, I guess the, it the was draft some dodger st- law. The, yeah. We're going to change what they called it. They, they had some, I can't remember. The Amnesty. Sentence. I think it was. Amnesty. Yeah. Yeah. Get yeah. No, Tim, get <laughs> you, you and me both. You and me both. <laughs> but yeah. But Tom, uh, he came in and watched me play. I was like 12 or 11. 
And so I went in and I played a couple songs on a show and I went, I want to do this, you know. And so he was the year, one, he, he gave you the bug. He gave me the bug. But also within a year, I was doing uh, a friend of mine, Gary Malice. Uh, we were in Cub Scouts together mm-hmm. and then Boy Scouts. He said, hey, I'm doing this uh, TV show on Graham Cable. Um, it's called, it was called Rap Line and people, and uh, I think it was, uh, I'm trying to remember all the people that were there originally. Anyway, he says, uh, come in and watch me. So I show up and the boss goes, he just called. He's not coming. You're on the air. That's I go, great. what? That's great. <laughs> yeah, so he goes, you know how to use a turntable, don't you? And I go, oh, yeah, sure. That's great. And then, uh, yeah, then right after um, my friend, uh, I had called a couple, a couple of friends had said, oh, ca- talk to this guy, talk to these record companies. So Charlie Camilleri, a uh, friend, um, and I became friends with his son, Ron, and his other son, Rick, they're the twins. Rick uh, ran Sony Music and Ron ran Epic Records. Okay. Anyway, um, and we became really close. We're still, we still talk every so often, but Charlie says, Tony, I got these things. They're called videos. He goes, you know anything about them? And I go, yeah, we have a couple of one inch and one inch. So here's this kid who I didn't have a car at the time. I was underage. Um, and I've got these one inch and two inch videotapes. Wow, so you know those. the weight of those, Yo, right? They, God, for people at home, they weighed like 10,000 pounds. And I had like 10 of these videos on me and I'm, I have a, a belt and I, I strapped them on the belt and it was like, <sighs> you were, um, you were paying your dues. I did, man. I, so I went back and uh, I played the first videos on the air. And one of the very first ones I had was hit me with your rhythm stick. Do you remember that song? I do. Ian Drury and the Blockheads. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm sure because that summer, um, my boss, uh, the summer after, sorry, when I turned 16, my boss goes, hey, did you get your license? I go, yeah. He goes, uh, listen, I need somebody in the field to do special uh, installations. I know you know about electronics. But I go, why would I want to do that? He goes, because it's 12 bucks an hour. I go, I'll do it. There you go. Because <laughs> he was go. only paying me four bucks an hour. Right. Uh, and I was a volunteer for many years. Anyway, so I jumped on the, the chance. And uh, one of the first guys I uh, had a special install, they had like nine technicians out there. And I've only been doing the job for like a week. And it was at Moses Nimer's house. Oh, wow. Yeah. And wow. I was like, the run was over like 300 feet through the trees. They had to put a little proc amp in the, uh, in the uh, tree. And that's how we got it. And I became pals with Marilyn Lightstone after. So for for anybody, uh, internationally, Moses Neimer is, uh, kind of like a legend here in in the city of Toronto in terms of. He walks on water. Starting city TV and, and, uh, a lot of sort of groundbreaking shows and, and techniques of television. And, uh, he's still around Toronto. Uh, yep. still he owns Boomer. Right? He does. He does. All right. So let me ask you some questions here. Um, so we've already established that you're the imaging voice of uh, CBC. Oh, okay. Yes. And uh, <laughs> CBC radio and television. And- Mostly TV. Um, I've done, you know, a lot of radio, but Jeremy Harris does the radio and uh, Claire Gallia is uh, radio too. And uh, so it's pretty cool. But I've been, um, been fortunate enough to be the uh, promo How long has it been? Uh, 18. 18 years. Wow. Almost 19. Wow. That is pretty, pretty crazy in this industry to, to hold down a gig imaging because, you know, new management, new people come in and, uh, it's really tough to, uh, to hold that gig down. Let's, um, uh, talk about something else. Um, I remember back in the, uh, eighties when I first met you, uh, and, uh, we started doing bits together for the radio show and I would go to your house, your parents' house and uh, (laughs) in your bedroom upstairs, you had a little studio. I did a four track, right? Yeah, you had a four track TAC. And, 
And uh, you go up there, and I rem- I'll always remember this. You didn't, you wouldn't drink coffee. You always drank tea because it was better for your voice. Yeah. And I remember you didn't. I don't. You didn't drink alcohol. I don't know. Do you drink any alcohol today? Just tequila. <laughs> Seriously, like because it's low in sugar, and you know, if you buy really good tequilas, you don't get a headache. That's all. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, and I do drink coffee now like crazy because I'm married an Italian. But what happened was. Um, I never drank coffee till I worked at Q107. Okay. And every morning I'd be in at three, four in the morning and I'd be the guy responsible for making the coffees. Oh, okay. So you started drinking it then. Well, just testing it because I hated the coffee because, you know, when you buy those, you know, um, they have the machines, the right, machines right, right. and all that, uh, the coffee is always terrible. And I remember working with these guys, um, they go, yeah, just put a little salt in the coffee. I go, really? And it does. It takes off the edge, right? Okay. So I'd put the salt in the coffee. I'm like, coffee right. tips with Tony. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> and you know the deal, like at three in the morning when you're in there every day before everybody else, you're like, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. So you, so you the became end, a coffee uh, addict. And you know, the end of your shift, you've had like 37 coffees. Oh, yeah. You're bouncing off the ceiling at that point. Yeah. The point I was making was that you, you know, a lot of people in the entertainment industry live a little bit too uh, uh, fast, shall we say. And (laughs) and you, from the very beginning, uh, had an excellent work ethic, but you also um, kept it pretty clean. You didn't party hard. Uh, You know, you were always out and about, but you kept a very clean lifestyle. I think part of that was from uh, playing music in nightclubs from the age of 11, 12 I was always around and because I was a big kid, um, I would be in playing in clubs where children weren't allowed and none of the cops would ever stop me because I had the original froggy voice. So they come up like, how old are you? And my, my lead singer like, I'm 19, you know, let me see your ID. And they go, I know. And back then it was 18, you know, but he's, he was nine, he was like seven, six years older. So he'd hold up his ID and they go, did you have ID back then? No, I didn't need it. Cause they're going, how old are you? I go. 21 oh. and they go oh okay no problem <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah he's 21 all right <laughs> that's great that's great well let's talk more about your uh, professional accomplishments um so uh, off the top we talked about the fact that you have been uh, an animated voice on I, I actually just about fell asleep counting all of the credits that you have there's something like 90 <laughs> 90 animated uh, features that you have uh, been a part of well, I think a lot of them are missing because I, you know, I never upkeep that IMDb and I should, but, um, but you know, there's a, I've been lucky enough to, you know, that, um, I had the right agent that got me the right place. Well, and you've, you've got a good agent, but you're also a phenomenal talent with an excellent work ethic. Um, but, uh, as I've, I've found out recently, you also have been doing some stuff on the camera. I was watching HBO not that long ago and I actually enjoy this series high maintenance and I'm, I'm just sitting there with my girlfriend watching and all of a sudden, Hey, that's Tony. <laughs> and, you know, I'm poking here. I know that guy. And, you know how that happened too. Well, we I want to know. We were doing ADR and ADR for the home crowd is automatic dialogue replacement. So when they don't have anybody, um, like if they're missing Al Pacino, Connery, all these big name stars, and then even just background actors, They'll bring in a guy like me that can imitate them. And a part of the imitation thing was doing voices for you. I had to learn, you know, several voices. And then when I left you and went off to work with Jesse and Gene, they were calling me the man of a thousand voices. Mm -hmm. At the time, I I was doing like 20. And I'm like, God, they're calling me the man of a thousand voices. I better start learning. So I started amassing all these voices, right? right? And I don't like to do caricatures, 
of the voice. I want to get the voice down yeah. because I knew there was a, a, a um, I guess a monetary component to working and learning the voice. So um, I finally, I'll tell you, I got to do Pacino for Pacino, Connery for Connery, Patrick Stewart. That was one of my favorites. Um, I'm, um, I was at William Morris and Patrick Stewart walked in. I'm like, oh, that's Patrick Stewart. That's right cool. Cam McCart. And he goes, hello. And I go, have Wesley Crusher meet me in my ready room. Tell him <laughs> to bring a wet towel. And he goes, that's very good. <laughs> I can't see the rest of the story on here because it's uh, my agent called me in the office and he's like, can't have you making fun of the celebrities. And I go, he said I made fun of him. He goes, no, and he thought you were charming. <laughs> I go, oh, well, then why are you breaking my, you yeah. know, he's like, well, well he, you know. I understand he's got a great sense of humor. So no harm, no foul there. Yeah. Um, so you, did you audition for that high maintenance gig or do they just, no, um, my friend Dan Fink, um, he's, um, he casts ADR and looping. He's got a loop group out of New York and, um, uh, Dan was doing looping on, on, uh, on high maintenance. So I came in with him and I did a couple of episodes and then one day on the street, Ben Sinclair, uh, and, uh, catch a Blickfeld. They're, they're amazing. Anyway, I saw Ben on the street outside of Carnegie Hall. How do you get to Carnegie Hall, Tim? Anyway, so I'm standing there. It's around the, the it's around the corner from, from our place down there. And, uh, there was, uh, Ben. He goes, Tony, the voice guy. And he goes, you know, he says, we weren't going to hire voices for the show, but you guys came in, you killed it. And, you know, cause it, it just uh, amped it. And he says, uh, you ever do it on camera? I go, well, I, yeah. I said, uh, I got really big because I played Big Fat Elvis on Erie, Indiana. You ever see that? I got to show you those videos too. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Erie to the other dimension. I played the Big Fat Elvis and I gained like 88 pounds. Oh my gosh. It. Yeah, I finally lost like eight of it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so he says, great, I have an idea for a bit. And I said, he says, do you have any restrictions? I said, hey, here's the best part. I said, this was so cool. Uh, I said, well, I, I record my promo stuff from 12 to 1 every day. I said, I just need a quiet place. And he goes, like, you know, like a studio. And I go, no, I can record in the car. And he goes, really? And I'll tell you a story to link into that. So uh, I get out to the set and uh, they go, okay, uh, listen, go away and do your recording. We got a car for you. And there there was a rental car and it, and it was a van and it had Ontario plates. Oh, wow. you believe that? So I was like, this is kind of cool. That's funny. So I recorded in the car uh, and then I come out and then we, we went upstairs to the uh, set and I shot with him. And, uh, that one minute you see there, that's only one minute out of like two hours of shooting. Wow. We were, we were riffing hard. Yeah. And, uh, at one point, um, he had done, you know, the Australian action, you heard that, right? It's like, a, um, at first he was just, you know, big, the big voice guy. So he's like, have pass me that ham sandwich. Right. And yeah. then he goes, Hey, jump out of my cab. So I'm like, I get out of my cab. And he's the whole crew just starts laughing. The camera's shaking. They go, we got to redo this. And he goes, I forgot you could do all the access. Now he's hit me. Okay. Italian, Greek, German. Like we so ran that was through. kind of improv. Oh yeah. And he's like, yeah, totally improv. And then <laughs> at one point he says, all right, I'm going to catch you on this one. This is a guy born in Romania, but was living in France for 15 years and go pass me that ham sandwich. And I go, Hey, pass me that ham sandwich. And he goes, how the hell did you figure that out? I said, well, my best buddy's Romanian. And I said, I grew up in Canada. You have to speak French. It's the law. Ah. You're in grade 12. That's <laughs> You awesome. spoke French, didn't you, back in school? Oh, just, you know, survival French. You know, I They can... allowed that <laughs> back in uh, uh, just outside of London, right? Uh, uh, Chatham. Chatham. Yeah. Chatham. Yeah. Chatham. Oh, yeah. Chatham. 
That's right. That was our other connection, you and I. Uh, I used to stay at the Wheels Inn. Oh, yes, yes. It's a parking lot now in Chatham. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. It's all the gone. The Wheels Inn is gone? Yeah, yeah. It, it had one of the first water slide, indoor water slides. It in did. Canada. It did, in fact. Let me ask you, um, networking is very important in this industry. And so for success in my book, it takes two things. It takes talent and it takes networking, the ability to let people know this talent exists. And you, bar none, in my mind, have always been the best networker I have ever seen. And I want you to tell me any secrets that you would care to share for any fledgling voiceover or acting people out there that are looking for their break. Just be honest. I think that's part of it, being honest about it. You know, because some people, I mean, you know, Tim, you've been around with me for a long time and, and my life has been, uh, in some instances, pretty incredible. Like I've done things that, you know, I was on tour with Triumph, Rush, right? So people go, oh yeah, right. You know, so, but it's true. And you, you just, you, you meet all these people and then you, you, you want to be kind and you want to be, and I guess that's a part of the work ethic too, is being kind and being, you know, um, because I've stepped over the line so many times with some of the characters I've done, not on purpose. It's like, you know, they've asked you to do something. Um, even on the last episode of high maintenance that I recorded, this is a true story. They, uh, they said, uh, Oh man, we didn't hire an African American actor to do this one line and we have to have this done today. And I was going to call a friend of mine and say, Hey, come on down. But they said, no, we don't have the budget for it. And so the, and the director's African American. He's like, I don't know what to do. And then we're all going, well, you know, technically by a law, you, you know, the, the, uh, union would be upset if he did it because he wasn't a member. And I said, well, I have one other solution if you're into it. And so I held up my 23 and me read out. He goes, holy crap, you're 12% African. I go, yeah. And he goes, done. Wow. <laughs> and so, yes, I, I had to play this character right now. Um, give us, granted, give us a little sample of that if you, if you can. I can't, man. It's like out of control. You know, it's a whole Detroit scene thing. Anyway, so he was like, dude, this is amazing. And, uh, it came in handy last year. We were here doing an ADR session. I was working on this Nicolas Cage film. Hey, Tim, it's Nicolas Cage. Anyways, they were doing this Nicolas Cage film. And I was working with these uh, Chinese actors. They were, they were awesome. These guys were so cool, but two of the guys couldn't speak Chinese <laughs> and the youngest guy was perfect. And then there was a scene with these two, um, uh, Chinese guys fighting and it was, all Chinese. Yeah. Um, and it was actually, it was Cantonese. So it was great. And I knew a few words and, uh, they tried the other guys and Alan Chan, who was the director. I worked with him on, uh, uh, what was that? Uh, Ken Fankelman show. Um, I remember the show. I can't remember. Newsroom or yes. Newsroom. That yeah, was it. Yeah. So I worked with him on Fankelman and I remember getting there and he'd go, uh, Hey, uh, just be cool. Cause if, the bad Ken shows up today, you'll get fired. So, you know, so I go in there and I'm doing this voice that they wanted. And I didn't like it because I said, it doesn't suit the script. It was for a Peter Callahan's character. Um, um, and I'm looking at it. And, and so Fingham's like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I, you know what? Forget about it. Let's just forget it. And I, and I go, well, I didn't want to do that. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, do you want to hear my take? He goes, yeah, let's hear it. So I did like a, I did like a Bill Curtis voice. After setting the bodies on fire, Tim McClarty walked across the street, you know, and he's going, let's go. Let's, and we recorded it. Right. So Alan remembered things like, dude, you saved my butt that day. So, um, I did a scene with this, this kid, Richard, this uh, Asian kid, Chinese, 
and we did it in Cantonese. He helped me write out. I knew some of the words and he helped me write out. So we had this argument in Chinese. That's so cool. And, and he's like, dude, I can't. He says, your accent is good or better than mine. I'm like, you know, and so that, that's where you have to walk the fine line. Yeah, and, yeah. and when I got my 23 and met me back, 10% Asian. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> that was a fine line, but. <laughs> but you know what? You, you've illustrated a perfect example and talking about networking. So you're out on a gig and, uh, and you're getting in front of people and saying, well, you know, here's a possibility and you're doing something and they're saying, that'll work. You yeah, know, you're not, not being one of these guys that, hey, you know, I don't want to sound too afraid to say anything because for whatever reason, you've always been very talented, but also great at letting people know what you can do. And it comes from the honesty and that's that work ethic. Also, when... hello, I'm not here. Um, so <laughs> we're going to just put that on Toronto the... Dominion Bank. Can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't do that because I remember all the funny phone calls we've done. Uh... <laughs> so let's let's just pick it up from uh, where you said uh um, that's just honesty. Yeah. It, it's just honesty. Um, and, and it comes from that place of like, I really want to help. And it's not because I'm a, I'm a wiener or I'm, I'm uh, being disrespectful. I really want to help. Um, I've done, in, I've gone into productions where, you know, they're, we're doing a voice for a cartoon. They're going, Hmm, we need this kind of sound. I'm going, you know what? He's in, in the, in the room. Let's get him in. And they're like, don't you want to do it? And I go, well, I'll do it, but you know what? His voice, like, that's him. That's you. It's the best for the production. So they bring, wow, you know, and it's just being honest because, you know, you're going to work anyway. If yeah. You're honest. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk about auditions. Uh, and this is sort of what you've just explained is kind of auditions, uh, live and in person. But, um, um, hang on. One I'm second. on hold. hold. Hold, hold that thought. It I might be me. The master phone. How embarrassing is this? Ah, it happens. Hey, I'm surprised mine hasn't rang like 20 times. <laughs> Let's talk about auditions. Yeah. Um, so I've heard. Okay. Let's talk about auditions. So I've heard, uh, uh, a couple of different theories on this. And uh, again, I guess it depends on the people you're auditioning for. And you uh, probably get to know them over time. You know who you can go in. Uh, some guys like to go into a room and they like to yuck it up and uh, kind of make everybody laugh and just create a really nice vibe. And I suspect that's probably you. But then there are some people, some casting directors who think, you know, no, I, I don't want all your, your stand-up stuff. I just want you to... to read for the role and then move on. Uh, what are your, your thoughts on this? And do you alter your audition uh, sort of process depending on who you're uh, auditioning for? And if you don't know somebody, it's a brand new stranger, do you go in and kind of get a sense of the room? Uh, give me an idea. It, that's exactly it. What I do is um, if I know the person and I know what I can get away with, I will. And certain auditions require you to be above and beyond like, especially in animation, you don't want to walk in and go eh, flat read because you're not going to get the gig. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you're super over the top, they might go, oh, you know, what? I'm just tired today. I don't want to deal with it. And that comes from another honest place, which I'll tell you about in a sec. And then if it's a place I've never been like, uh, you know, 
working down in NYC, I get to meet a lot of new casting directors that I had never met. And so you want to be able to put your own spin. And I learned that from Roger Bumpus. Do you know uh, Squidward from um, from SpongeBob? Mm-hmm. So anyway, Roger, one day uh, I was in reading with him and uh, he buttons everything with his own take. And I'm like, well, you know what? I really like the way he does it. And it's the the whole because we grew up doing improv. So I wanted to get that out there. You know, I've worked with the best uh, Colin Mockery and all, all amazing people. Um, Kevin Frank, all our, our, our friends in town. I'm, I'm missing a ton of people. There's so many good improvers. And I just remember going to theater sports. Did you ever go there with me? No, I, I didn't go with you, but I've, I have done it. Yeah. You've been. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think we talked about it. Anyway, theater sports and then Second City. And, and that, that's a very important thing. If you can get into a Second City class, um, hook up with Kevin Frank and, and people like that, you'll you'll learn a ton and you can take those. It, it takes away the fear of performing. Um, and then you've got to walk that line of uh, I can be a little disgusting, but not so that I piss people off. Because I remember walking into a pirate. Pirate Radio and Television uh, is a recording uh, uh, house here. Uh, they do a lot of ads. And I remember walking in uh, one morning. It was a Wednesday morning. And uh, the producer comes up. Uh, actually, the voice director comes up and he goes, dude, please. Um, look, the clients are really upset. I go, why? And he goes, well, two other actors were in before you and both of them stepped over the line. I go, well, not today. I won't. What do you mean? I said, it's Wednesday. What does that mean? I go, all right. So the rule is from one of the bosses of pirate on Monday, come in, do your job. Try not to be a clown unless like the script really calls for it. Usually Mondays. It's funny. You don't get as much comedy on a Monday, Tuesday, you know, just be happy. Wednesday, a little more juice, but nothing crazy. Thursday, open up Friday, go crazy. So I always had that in mind. Like an early in the week, nobody wants to deal with a clown, right? And so I kind of remember that when I'm even auditioning, if it's a Monday and I know the person, I'll just, I'm just jovial, but I'm not going to be insane. On a Friday, you open wide up. And I remember uh, how I met Cassandra, my musical partner, was I went in to do a Coles commercial. And the person that was on the other end, which ended up being Cassandra, had to pretend they were a really bad singer. Uh, singing the song, what a feeling, a feeling. really bad, right? Right. It's hard to do. Trust me. Anyway, and she's vacuuming at the time. So what landed me the job, which only landed me with the writers, but the owners of the company, Coles, would have said no way. But what landed me the the job with the writer was the improv that I did at the end of it. She's singing really bad and vacuuming. (laughs) Good vacuum, right? (laughs) And I go... Look, the, the Coles back to school sale, the only thing that doesn't suck in this commercial. <laughs> and that booked me the job. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> That's and a very say, interesting uh, observation in terms of gearing your energy according to what day of the week it is. I've never heard that. Yeah. And that was um, one of the guys, a pirate, uh, um, Tom. He just said, listen, you know, you can't you can't be crazy. And the two guys, one of them had actually said a really bad word. <laughs> Um, and it pissed off one of the, uh, um, producers from the agency. Yeah. So y- you're already like at a disadvantage walking in if you want to be funny. For so. sure. For sure. And then they're going like, dude, you're really subdued today. And I'm like, oh. And I said, I'll open up a little bit. And I did. And I didn't go crazy. Yeah. One of my favorite stories was, uh, it's, I think it's Terry O'Reilly's birthday today. And Terry's a famous Canadian, 
um, producer, writer. He's, he's got that show on CBC now. Um, what's it called? Uh, under, under the Influence. Under the Influence. Yes. Yeah. Great show, which yeah. you hear me on every yes, so often. Yes. I think I'm the guy that does the Under the Influence. You know, so anyway. Um, so Terry, uh, one day we were in there. And, and again, it comes from that honest place. You know, we we're doing this commercial that was for, I think it was Ontario Power Generation. And they're talking about, uh, you know, uh, it was, I was doing like a big sportscaster and, uh, uh, Claire Donnell, she's got the dishes now. She's loading up the dishwasher. And, um, so we did it and everyone's like, oh, this is great, you know, wonderful. And so I turn to Terry and I go, can we try something? And he goes, what is it? I said, you know, it's a sportscaster. Let's make it iconic. And he goes, what is it? So I said, give me two seconds. I rewrote it and we're coming in. I go, uh, Claire Henderson has the dishes on the counter. She's picking up one at a time. She, you know, we're doing, at the end, I'm going, Henderson, Henderson, just saved whatever the money was. And they went crazy. They're That's going, great. that was a genius because it was the, uh, 72 Russia Canada course, hockey yeah. series and, Henderson, and yeah. Foster Hewitt calling the Paul Henderson thing. So yeah. I changed her name to Claire Henderson. It was that's really great. Cool. That's great. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's also the, the, uh, uh, the, the power of a, a great creative group where their ego doesn't get in the way of, I didn't write that. So therefore it's, it's collaborative. And when they exactly. hear something that's great, they grab and it. And I actually learned that with you guys. Cause when we were doing, uh, Willie's comedy shack, way, and Willie's ad way shack, back. way back. 112 years ago. Yes, yes, We yes. didn't let, yeah, we didn't let our egos get in the way of the comedy. You never let your ego get in the way of a great laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that ties back into the audition process where they booked another job a week later and they're going, let's just get that guy because we can trust his comedy shops. Yeah, and- yeah. Well, they like, you know, they like dealing with people who are fun to work with. If they're also talented, then that's just a slam dunk. Um, are you doing a lot of remote auditions these days? I mean, we got this crazy thing called COVID. Oh yeah. And like, um, well, it's really, it's funny today. I just sent a note to my agent in Toronto because I go, it's a little quiet. And she goes, it's July. And I go, oh yeah, I keep forgetting. And, but my New York agent's crazy busy right now. They're trying to, they're trying to reboot. And the LA agent is, um, they're, they're nowhere because of the, you know, LA opened too quick and I think, uh, they took a beating. So they're a little quiet, but, uh, uh, but I've been writing Tim uh, a lot. Like I've got like I'm music say, wise, uh, not just that. I mean, I just wrote a new song. I should play it for you. Uh, I am, I have, I got to resing it though. Cause I didn't, I just laid down a, a guide track, but I got six sitcoms, uh, two dramas and a bunch of, um, shorts that I want to take over to like yeah. places like Quibi. When do you and, sleep? What's that? <laughs> I don't. I was, uh, I was up till 345 this morning writing, I swear. And then, um, at 830 this morning, ding dong, uh, the guy for the, uh, the tree, um, the tree guy showed up. Oh, yeah. He had to cut down part of our tree. Yeah. Yeah. And they got that gypsy moth around. I killed one yesterday. You know, I'm I remember, not a violent person. I remember that about you, that you would just go and go. And then all of a sudden it was like somebody snapped their fingers and you fall asleep. I remember. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah, in St. Catherine's on the couch, you we, just fell asleep one day. You were yeah, gone. Because we were, we'd been up um, uh, quite a few days that week, um, just working late. And, you know, people don't understand this. And Tim will tell you, when you're doing a morning show, uh, I was just talking to Jeff Lumby about this yesterday. Jeff's a great performer, yeah. great radio guy. Oh, awesome. And, you know, when you do a morning show, and especially when I grew up with Jesse and Gene, even Howard Stern, um, brother Jake, uh, chum morning show, um, with you scruff when you're working on a morning show, your whole day is comedy, comedy, line, line, bit, bit, bit. And 
you know, 11 o'clock at night, you're supposed to be in bed by like nine, 11 o'clock, 12, you're still thinking about bits for the next morning. And that's, that was my life for like 18 years. Yeah. yeah and that, that's very draining. It, it takes everything out of you. Um, so CBC, let's talk a little bit about that. And this is my own curiosity. You, uh, I listen to CBC a lot, uh, uh, CBC radio. Yeah. And, uh, I hear your voice all throughout and a lot of it's very topical. So you're going to be teeing up the current or whatever show it is, but you're going to be talking about the actual show that day, which means that you are recording at least daily. How does that work? Do you get a bunch of scripts and you sit down for a period of time each day and you knock them all off or do you have to make yourself available? Let's say a, a, a news story well, happens late in the day. They'll, they'll, they'll buzz me. But, um, for radio, Jeremy Harris is the radio guy. And when he's away, I'm the guy that, uh, subs in. I was supposed to do it. And it was just, um, my agent at the time thought it was just too much to have TV and radio all day and then nothing else. Right. Cause, um, um, so, and it's nice to give another actor some work. So Jeremy Harris has been doing it, but, uh, you'll hear my voice cause I'm doing other promos that CBC will play for TV, mm-hmm. but also when Jeremy's off, it's, you know, I'll fill in and, and yeah, they'll, um, Walter and David, they'll, they'll prop together a whole bunch of, uh, scripts and you read them all at once and then they edit it down. And, um, I try to give them, um, deliverables so they don't have to edit as much. So I'll take out my breaths and stuff like that because I have the ability to, um, to kill a lot of the uh, noise and clicks and stuff saves them time when they're going in, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I like the way they do it. They bang it out and there's uh same with TV. They, they bang it out. Um, when I was with NASCAR, they, uh, and discovery channel, they would just bang it out. Discovery us and NASCAR us. Um, they'd send you a bunch of scripts and you'd sit there and going, okay, NAS uh, D- discovery was cool because they go, they book you for an hour and then they send you a script uh, that you have 15 minutes to record and then 15 to upload and then 15 to record and 15 wow. to upload. But by time I was, they, they knew I could read the stuff fast and edit and get it back. So I was getting like five scripts and then I had 15 to upload and then five more scripts. So they were like, Hey, this is cool. We can get this done. Well, you know? yeah. Yeah. You're making their yeah. lives easier. Yeah. And, and that's an advantage having, um, wherever you can, if you're, um, if you're an up and comer and you, you, you know, get to know the software, get to know how to edit, uh, because that's the, the trick. I mean, um, I don't even know if Tim knows this, but back in the day when I was in uh, Graham Cable, I learned how to edit video. Mm-hmm. You know, I was editing. I, I've seen you. You're pretty darn good. I've seen Tim do uh, audio tape with with a blade. <laughs> don't make me sound any older than I am. But I think <laughs> no, but I, you and Perry McIntosh. These two guys, man, they would, they would take like reels of, of stuff we've recorded and, and edit out with the blade. And I, I was like, Oof. I think I hated that. I think it's so hilarious though. You worked at Access Cable, like Wayne and Garth. I mean, yeah. That's, that's what I did. I edited video. I edited two inch videotape. You're putting it on the block and you're. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, let's cutting it. Yeah. Let's stop dating yeah. ourselves here. Tell me more about, uh, so with CBC. Uh, did you work with a producer or a couple of producers that helped sort of get the, the, the CBC sound, uh, or was this something you brought to them and they just said, Hey, this is great. Let's, let's go with it. It was actually kind of weird. It was, uh, they had a changeover in 2001, 2000, uh, and they brought in, uh, Chris Tate, okay. um, from the band Chalk Circle. Wow. Uh, who's an amazing guy and a great talent mm-hmm. anyway. So, but. Uh, Chris had a bunch of stuff on the go with pirate radio and television. And so he couldn't commit to the time. And at, 
I had worked as uh, the voice of on TV, which was CHCH that became on TV, the network. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was working down in LA on cartoons and then I came home one day and they said, uh, listen, they, uh, this guy, Stuart, he used to be at CHCH. He went over to CBC and uh, suggested me for a sports voice. And my agent couldn't decide on uh, the contract. But then a couple of weeks later, they they sorted it out and that was it. Mm -hmm. So it's fun. And the producers do, you know, they'll tell you, oh, we want this sound or we want this sound. But sometimes I'll just bring stuff that they don't expect because, uh, you know, I think, oh, you know, you want to have a little difference there. I, you know, like it used to be the old school was, you know, the big voice guy tonight on K100 F. You know, it's like, forget about it. Yeah. Uh, you want to get, um, you know, if, if it's a comedy show, I don't, I can't use the same comedy voice. It's like, you'll notice on some of the networks they have, you know, tonight on whatever station it is. Right. And then they got the tonight on cable news, you know, they got the big news guy. Yeah. So I wanted to give them the whole gamut because I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some uh, other voices out there. Who inspired you in your first, uh, getting started? Was it, uh, um, who was the big voice, uh, of movie trailers? He passed away not that long ago. In a world yes. where Don LaFontaine yes. was a god among men. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Don. Uh, I got, a, I booked a couple of jobs after he had passed. Yeah. But, uh, and one of my favorites and I lucked out was this guy. Uh, I was in working, uh, doing uh, taglines for uh, a serial, and they go, "Oh, you got to sit down. We have uh, we have the main voice of the serial for fifteen minutes because he was like ninety something at the time." Oh wow! And so he comes in and he goes, "Try new Tony Sturbos. They're great, right?" And they go, "Okay, let's do it again." So the, after fifteen minutes, our producer Clive says, "Man, we didn't get a clean turbos." And I go, "You mean Tony's turbos?" And they went. <laughs> Whoa! Would you? And I go, sure, because you're already paying me to do the tags anyway. You know, I'm I'm actually making as much as he was. Um, what, what was his name? Thurl Ravenscroft. Wow. wow! And you know him from one other thing other than Frosted Flakes. Hmm. Ready? You're a foul one, oh, Mister Grinch. Wow! He was a singer. Isn't that something? Yeah. So I ended up. Um, um, after he passed, uh, George Longley and, uh, Josh Rackless were at, uh, Leo Burnett and they, uh, hired me to be, uh, Tony, uh, Tiger. In fact, I did, I did Tony last week, right from here, right in this little booth. Isn't that great? And we were doing Tony. It was, it was great. <laughs> it wow. was fun. Wow. Yeah. I've been lucky to, to do that. And, um, uh, you know, it's one of those iconic things. It's like, I was working on this, uh, movie on Netflix called, uh, Underdogs. Mm -hmm. Check it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a really cool, uh, was written and produced by Juan Campanella out of, uh, Argentina. Then they adopted it for American, um, um, movies. And, what did uh, you do for Underdogs? Oh my God. Uh, hundreds of voices. Um, it's, we were, uh, I was in with Dan doing, uh, stuff with my buddy Jason Griffin and we were doing uh, a bunch of characters. And then um, one of the main characters at the time was Chaz Palminteri. And I go, that's a really good Chaz Palminteri. And they go, holy crap. Listen, he's away. Can you fill in for him next week? And I go, sure. That's great. So I go in, right? And they go, oh, I go, yeah, it's John Legazamo. So they go, uh, yeah, we need some of Legazamo's lines. Oh, that's Bobby Moynihan. So they got me doing Bobby. And then Dan goes, I wonder if you could scratch something for me. And I go, sure. You, you know, and you're getting paid for the day. So you're in anyway. Uh, what is it? And they go, Mel Brooks. So I did Mel Brooks. And that was amazing. And he almost did it exactly like I did it. Uh, there's a hilarious story behind it, but it was really cool to fit, feel 
you fit, fill these shoes. Like Mel, Mel, Mel Brooks, dude. Yeah. yeah you yeah, know, absolutely. it's like, it's so cool. Wow. You know, and uh, so I've been lucky that, you know, I've been at the right place too at uh, the right time and uh, getting some really cool uh, gigs, you know. But Chaz, so I'm out. Um, one of my best pals is Dominic Chianese, who okay. played Uncle Junior in The Sopranos. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Johnny Ola in uh, Godfather 2. Mm -hmm. So uh, for the last uh, previous seven years, except for this year, um, Dominic is living in London right now. Uh, family reasons. And Dominic and I, every Sunday, we would go to the uh, Mary Manning Walsh home. Uh, it's a retirement home. Most of the people are in wheelchairs. And, hmm. and it's uh, we would play all kinds of music, Americana, Canadian stuff. He, he used to laugh when I'd sing Canadian songs because I'd do some Stomp and Tom and he'd crack up. Uh, and we do a bunch of um, uh, Italian songs that I grew up playing. Uh, guitar and singing with Dominic. And um, it was just, you know, it's one of those things where somebody um, is doing something for the love of humanity. And, and I just did it uh, seven years every yeah. Sunday. Good for and, you. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it pays off because, you know, you, you, you start meeting other people. So Dominic and I were, um, we were out with a bunch of people. And this one guy said, uh, Hey, I want you to come to dinner with, Ch uh, with, uh, Chaz's son. So I went out with Chaz's son and, and my friend and then Chaz come in and he goes, hey, I heard you did my voice for the movie. And I go, <laughs> I go, yeah. And I go, are you okay with that? He goes, I got paid. You got paid. We're all good. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's it was kind of cool. And then Dominic has been a, he's been a, a godsend. He's introduced me to so many cool people. Uh, look up Irish singer, Mary Courtney on Facebook and online. She is, she's just incredible. So I get to meet all these people and, and play music with them. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're connecting to other Oh, for sure. Like, uh, for sure. Steve Sharippa, who played Bobby Bacala, and he's also on Blue Bloods right now. We become friends through Dominic. Very and, nice. Uh, yeah. God, there's so many people. It's just, it's incredible. Let me talk about your music. So you're kind of a, a, a multi-thread. You voice, you write, you produce, uh, you're great with, uh, editing and so on. Um, I remember watching you create music, uh, in your parents' house up in your bedroom on that old TIAC four track <laughs> in the eighties. And, uh, uh, you actually could do amazing things on that. I mean, you did song parodies for me on the on the, the radio show. We did a few. Tell me about your your music and recording now. You have a, a creative partner, Cassandra Kubinski, who I, I mentioned before we started the interview is super talented, and the two of you make a great team. Tell tell me, do you have uh, anything new coming out? And and what about you individually? Do you have anything solo coming up? Oh yeah, I got. That's uh, funny, uh, Tim. I've been. I've been trying to work on my, I've got about 25 songs here that are ready to go. Uh, I've, I've been writing a lot for TV and stuff. So like a friend of mine called, um, uh, we were down in LA and she's like, yeah, my husband's uh, producing, you know, Yellowstone. And she goes, hey, yeah, I need a song for this one scene. And I go, oh, I think I have something like that. So she heard it and she's like, oh, I love it. But you only have a verse and a chorus. I go, yeah, I wrote it for something. I wrote it for, uh, um, uh, uh, a Sasha Baron Cohen movie. Cool. <laughs> and they only wanted a verse and a chorus. So she goes, can you do another verse? And so I rewrote it and ended up recording it here just a few weeks ago. I've been playing it live on Facebook. And so people love it. So, um, so Cassandra and I, we, we try to do as much. We, we, uh, we have a new song. Uh, well, we have a new album out right now. It's an EP called dreams. Um, I should send it to you cause it's, uh, there's a lot of great songs on there. Um, it started with the very first song we wrote. We, we did the Coles commercial and I was telling you about, mm -hmm. 
And then um, she came over the first day and we wrote a song called Everyday Heroes. And it's, it's a great song. It's about just being everyday heroes, whether it's a teacher, a EMS worker, um, you know, yeah. the lady at the lunch cafeteria, everybody, it's, you know, if you look at close enough and if you open your heart, you can see like people that help. For help. sure. Yeah. And they, they really, they really help us Sounds out. Sounds like a great song then, for the times. Yeah. And then I wrote a song uh, for my friend, Christine at Tattoo. It was for um, a Ford commercial and I didn't like it. So I didn't send it into her. And then Cassandra was like, um, uh, we need, uh, we were talking about this other song and I said, Hey, listen, I wrote this thing. And I want to play it for you. So I played it a little bit for her and I go, here's what I'm thinking. It's about these dreams and it's very mystical. And so she ended up going, this girl can write like, you don't believe. She goes away. 20 minutes later, I've got lyrics. Cool. So 25 minutes later, I've got tracks down. Yeah. And then a couple hours later, I've got a mix. And then she come back and sang it. And uh, so that's the one that's on the video, I think, at the bottom of my yeah. email team. Yeah. And I, I love the animation. Yeah. I mean, is there anything you've done? That was to? a lot of work, yeah. dude. Yeah. Oh, my God. I uh, I took my iPhone and I got a, um, a Bluetooth con- controller. And everything you see there, I drew by hand. Very cool. And wrote all the lyrics out by hand and then time-lapsed it. Man, is there anything was, you don't do, Tony? I don't cook. I suck. <laughs> I can't. Um, Mike Palazzi was one of the great uh, sound engineers in the city. Huh? Oh, yeah. So Mike Palazzi, he, uh, uh, his sister Philomena is like – I'm. there's a reason I'm heavy, man. I, I'm surrounded by chefs. Oh, okay. So she's one of the greatest chefs. She teaches at George Brown. Anyway, so she taught Rose and I, my wife, she taught us how to make – uh, coconut cupcakes last Ooh, couple of weeks. So there you oh, go. Yeah. But we, when she was um, at different restaurants, she was at, we've gone to eat there and just like fantastic. Then she says, I can teach you how to cook. And I go, nah, I, I I'll burn water. You know? <laughs> but I've learned a couple of things. Nothing major. You can cook. I know you can. a little bit. So tell me about um, New York city. Now you're back in Toronto. Now, I guess you got out, you got out of Dodge just in time as the, uh, the borders were yeah. being shut down back in the spring with this COVID-19. Um, now, do you spend most of your time under normal conditions? Do you spend most of your time in New York? Is it fifty-fifty back and forth? No, it's back and forth. Yeah, but um, I got to tell you, uh, it was a, a kind of a devastation. I was in L.A. and Rose calls and said, "Hey, you know, you should come home and help your parents and my mom." I'm like, "Okay." Um, I said, "But I have a rehearsal next week for a TV thing," and so I called the producer, and one of my best friends got me on this show, and he's. Um, do you remember the movie, The Warriors from 1979? Mm-hmm. Warriors. So one of my best friends is uh, Thomas G. Waits. He played Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny. Like I said, with Dominic earlier, all these people came together. They all know each other from the old, like Pacino, Thomas. Um, we were, uh, Thomas took me to Kelsey Grammer's house and he and Dominic all knew each other. And Dominic and uh, J.T. Walsh, before he passed, long before, after he, uh, long before he passed away, they were doing Broadway and Kelsey's like, do you know how I, I worked with Dominic and Tommy? And I go now. And he says, so JT Walsh is with, with, with Dominic and they're doing this scene and they're playing guards. And he fell down the stairs, broke his leg. I got the gig. And I'm like, wow. And he goes, that was my foray into, into theater. And Kelsey, we stayed at his house. He's really nice. He's a really good dude. Very cool. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I decided, uh, to come here. And I called Tommy and I said, listen, Tom, I can't make rehearsals for another week. And he's like, no, no, we're not getting to your stuff till later. Another week. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. Think about it. They all got COVID, all of them. Did they really? 
all of them. Yeah. And, um, um, my friend Roger, who was, he just retired from HBO and another guy, Danny, uh, backer, great clarinetist and singer and performer, a bunch of friends got COVID. And so I was so glad to be here. And I said, uh, and then, you know, then they closed the border basically. Um, you know, like technically I can travel cause I'm legal, but, um, you know, but there's no, as you know, work is really kind of yeah, yeah. a little, I mean, it's summer anyway, but, uh, work is a little on the slow. Um, I just wanted to, um, because there's, you know, we have a chance to go out East and, and do things and stuff, but you really can't, you know, it's, yeah, um, yeah. it's a quiet time. Well, this is a perfect segue for this next question, uh, for gearheads that are listening in. When you talk about auditions and talk about work. Now you've got a, a beautiful Sennheiser mic in front of you there. Uh, you could do a lot of work right where you're sitting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, um, like I said, one of my friends, uh, had me do a test with this, um, TV show a couple of weeks ago. Um, they haven't gone to record yet cause they're, they're holding off They're They were thinking it was going to go to phase three, but it hasn't so far. So they may end up calling this week or next week. And it was, um, uh, for ADR for a TV show. And mm-hmm. I'm the, and I'm one of the few guys that can link video up to my system and record right to picture. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so um, they were listening in my booth and went, wow, does that ever sound good? And I said, well, the scene you're showing me, um, there's some, uh, um, right now I'm tight. I said, so let me open it up. And I open it up. And now we've got uh, some room sounds because I made, I designed this. Like, um, I don't know if I ever told you this, Tim, but, uh, and speaking of Jeff Lumby, mm-hmm. who is a great carpenter. Um, I learned from a friend about carpentry. My uncle taught me at first and then I was working on my house with this guy and I got really good at it. So I, I built all, you know, I built all my booth stuff, all my, uh, uh, everything. I can just build it from scratch. I have table saws and everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, so that helps. So like, um, you know, if you're going to set up a studio at home, it's hard because nobody knows what to do. So I, uh, my friend Gloria Slade, she had a setup she had to do a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and my friend Ellen Dubin. And one of the things I suggest if you don't have the carpentry skills and stuff is you want to, you want to get a booth, you know, like sort of like this, I'll show you around. Uh, so I'm under a canopy that I put. Look at that. And then, yeah. And then there's uh it folds over. And if you look on the outside, look, there's a whole bunch of stuff on Isn't the wall. Great. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so um for the people that don't know how to build stuff, because it's it's not easy. You know, I ended up uh, telling friends, oh, here's what you can do. Go grab yourself from Wayfair or or where you would like to shop for furnishings. Get it. Get yourself a room divider. Yeah. Get the biggest one you can, like a six panel, eight panel. And then you just get a bunch of sound blankets, uh, rot blot on Adelaide in Toronto, or if you're in somewhere else, uh, you can order from Amazon. These ones are from Amazon. They're like 17 bucks and you stick them around mm-hmm. and make sure you cover the top because people don't realize even here, mm-hmm. I have a little ring off the ceiling, yeah. but, I, and I've got panels up there, mm-hmm. but I leave them so that if I'm doing ADR, I can back the whole, yeah, uh, yeah. I can take this roof off and now I've got an open air so um, I can match a room tone. Sound booth design is an art and a science unto itself. I've built a, a, a lot of booths. You know. Well, I think I helped you build one. I think you did. I? I think you did. In, yes. in St. Catharines at your apartment? Or? Well, you know. <laughs> no, it was on Roncesvalles, off of Roncesvalles. Yes. And you know, of all the booths that I built, you never get it quite perfect. There's always something that you wish you would have done differently. Yeah. Um, but. Um, uh, what else? Was, oh, um, so that microphone for anybody that's wondering, that's a, uh, um, uh, a Sennheiser 416. 416, yes. 
Yeah, and you're on an RE20. I am an, an, an old dinosaur RE20, voice. which is kind of a broadcast staple. Um, what, no, but listen to it. It sounds fantastic. No, it's great. Um, it's, a, it's a workhorse for sure. If, if somebody doesn't have uh, a if somebody's got a lively room and they need to kind of uh, get yourself an RE20 like Tim has or a Sen- uh, sorry, a Shure SM7, believe it or not, Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, they recorded most of Mike's uh, vocals on an SM7, a $300 mic. Really? Why? Yeah, because it's dynamic. So when he punches the mic cardioid, doesn't go, yeah. this is, you know, the, uh, on a 416, it's got a small diaphragm and it's funny the first time i ever used one uh was a pirate radio it was for a uh a commercial for i was doing a commercial for one of those lottery things right mm-hmm. and and i was like why are they using a shotgun because you, you know i've been on tv sets and movie sets that's what you use a shotgun because the shotgun goes way up here and you can do adr <laughs> hey tim we're in the room you know and then i walk in and i'm like wow i wonder what this is and i went you may want to try something and you're like Whoa, that sounds so cool. Yeah. Like, cause it picks up other tones that the RE20 or my, I have a U40, talk about a $5,000 mic. I got a U47 over here that nice. I use for singing and animation. Yeah. Uh, in New York, I have a TLM 102, 103. They're made by Neumann and they're great for animation, but I have three of these. I have, I have the greatest story. I have, um, I have one in a bag that I carry everywhere with a little, uh, uh right now you carry a mixer face, but I have like, um, uh, a duet, which is made by Apogee. I have an Apogee one. I have a baby face by RME. So I've had a bunch of different um, interfaces. This new one called CEN Centrance Mixer Face. It's great little, uh, little portable. My friend Ellen just picked up a um, audient and she can actually take that on the road with her and record. So great story. We're driving from Toronto to New York and we're, we're roughly in Ithaca. And I call, I got a call on a Saturday, which I usually know. Hey, Tom, it's uh, Todd from Paramount Pictures. I understand you filled in for Tom Kenny as SpongeBob. And I go, yeah. And he goes, listen, we need like 11 lines for the movie. I'm going, Oh, great. They're going to book me on Monday. And he says, like now. And I go, now he goes, where are you? And I said, Ithaca, New York. What are you doing there? We're, we're driving back from Toronto. And he's like, Oh, that's not going to work for me. And I go, wait a minute. I've got my portable with me and I carry a backpack. And if I'm out at lunch or dinner, I'll carry a small set, which plugs right in my iPhone. I use twisted wave and I have a little central mic, which is uh B and H's knockoff of the four sixteen, but it's 125 bucks or something. Wow. Or that's what I paid for it. Anyway. Um, and it's, it's got the same profile. I'm, I'm looking at the EQs going, God, I don't even have to futz with it. It's, it's just absolutely perfect. Amazing. And so he goes, yeah. So I said, well, wait a minute. Why don't you send me two lines? I'll send you back a test. He goes, well, all right. So I pull over into a rest area, hook into my phone with the internet. And I send it back. He goes, dude, what studio is that? And I go, car. (laughs) And he's like, that's from a car? I go, yep. And he goes, Give me the other t- uh, nine lines. Let's get it done. So that it was, it made it into the film. That's awesome. So it's just a bunch of, uh, Tom Kenny SpongeBob things. I know at one time I'm yelling at Patrick, going, Patrick, Patrick, ah! and that's, they kept it. I was like laughing my head off. Ah! And I could hear it. Um, did you see the secret life of Walter Mitty? With, I, uh, I did. Yes. Okay. So you know the scene where Sean Penn is reading his own letter, but Ben Stiller's holding it. Right. It's not all Sean Penn. Wow. 
Yeah. Very cool, Tony. That was a cool one. So I ran into Ben Stiller at the um, uh, Zoolander 2. My friend was a publicist on that, so she invited Rose. And I, I hear he's it. a very nice guy. He's really cool. Yeah. And I was talking to his now ex-wife, Christine Taylor. Is that her name? Yeah. And she and I hit it off. I don't know why, but anyway, and her, their kid is funny. He was making me laugh. Anyway, so Ben's like, uh, she goes, so what is your name? I said, Tony Daniels. Ben goes, Tony Daniels. He was behind me. I didn't know. Why do I know your name? I said, I mean, you're Sean Penn from Walter Mitty. He goes, Tony. He jumped into my arms because he's tiny. <laughs> Rose goes, did he just jump into your arms? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. It was really cute. He's he's really nice. And it was funny because when we were recording, I was in Toronto doing uh, Tony Tiger. And uh, I was a tattoo. And I had Dan Horton as my engineer at the time. And uh, I said to Dana Gadsden, I said, hey, Dana, is it cool if um, if we can do a, a quick uh, few pickups for the Walter Mitty thing um, on ISDN, right? Because they had ISDN there. And she goes, Sure. And she gave him a really good studio deal, which is nice, you know, because yeah. ISDN is expensive. For sure. I still have it, by yeah. the way. I have a box over here and I had one in New York. I gave it, I gave it to my guys at IPDTL. Can, can anyway, we, so. Mm. Oh, go ahead and finish your story, but I do, oh, okay. I, I do want to talk about ISDN and, and just kind of wrap up with uh, studio connections. Tech stuff. Yeah. Okay. So just quickly. So yeah. Um, so we, we, we were recording. I went through the thing once and, uh, at first they were, so it's a good thing to know. Uh, first they were, uh, hmm, uh, we were just doing Tony. So you've got the big EQ and, and uh, they had said, wow, it doesn't sound like the, the stuff you sent us previously. And I'm going, oh, hang on. So I go like this. That's the universal signal for cut the mic. Mm -hmm. And I go, Dan, roll off the EQ from 300 down. He goes, really? I go, yeah. So he rolls it off. We do another take. She goes, oh, that's great. What happened? I go, oh, we changed mics. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, also, because we had a manly um, in a tattoo, we had a manly reference mic, which is a beautiful mic. Yeah. If you got five and a half K, you want to spend it, go for it. Anyway, so that's good too. Um, yeah, it's good. So we we popped onto a, a an eighty seven because that's what they used down in the, the studio in New York when I first did it, and that way we we can match it. So uh, getting back to the um, the Ben thing, so they said, you know, if um, she says, oh, one of the producers or director wants to come in and talk to you about uh, uh, redoing this. So the guy gets on the phone. He goes, okay, guys, uh, who's the engineer? Dan, uh, have Tony start from the beginning, uh, please. So I do one. He goes, uh, Dan? Yeah. Uh, no, I wanted him to start from the beginning, not do the playback. And he goes, oh, that was him. He's like, oh, let's do two more takes. Wow. Let's go. <laughs> Thank you. She gets off the phone. She goes, Mr. Stiller loved you. I'm like. That was Ben Stiller. You know, so it's cool. That's awesome. So, I love those stories. They're kind of fun. So Sorry, let's, let's talk about Studio Connects because there you are with your mic in your booth and you're you're able to do stuff for people all over the world. But yeah. uh, there's this thing which a lot of pros are, are aware of from Source Connect, um, Sound Source. Um, so you have that. You've got, I have you've, all of it. You've got, yeah, you've got a bunch of gear and you've got uh, an IPDTL. Which IPDTL is a, a British company. Um, uh, I was turned onto it by Howard Kogan, you know, Howard, mm -hmm. uh, voice of Jack radio and stuff. So Howard, uh, said, Hey, I'm using this. And the thing I love about IPDTL, um, if I wanted to call you and phone patch you right now, I could do it with the IPDTL where you can't do that with source connect and other things. Mm -hmm. Source connect's great. I've had it for a long time, years. I've got the standard version. I never went to the pro cause I didn't need it, but it's, it's, it's been worth the money. Um, one year, um, 
IP detail is not cheap. It's not expensive. Like there's another one called, uh, well, we're on Zencaster right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sounds good. Um, but there was another one, um, that the big film companies are using. It's called, um, Ever- Evercast. That one's expensive. That's a thousand a month. Oof. Forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Source Connect, it's a one time payment or you can do a monthly, you know, 70 something bucks. But yeah. Yeah. I think the one time is better for me. Um, and IPTTL is great because I've got, uh, video, I've got phone patch and I've got two, two uh, dedicated ISDN lines. So in the, I did a, uh, a deal with, um, um, the guy who owns it and I sent him one of my boxes and back and uh, Tim will tell you, uh, ISDN boxes were like five, seven, nine thousand dollars. Oh yeah. They were uh, cool. And I have two of them. So, so I gave one of them to the owner of this company and he put it in, put me to, he gave me two numbers. So very cool. Um, very cool. I'm happy. All right. Well, I, I, uh, I think we're going to wrap up here. Um, you've been super generous with your time today and I've loved hearing about the, the stories, uh, not only of when we used to hang out when we were uh, kids, but, uh, <laughs> what you've been able to do with your career. I mean, you've gone from a guy that I watched in your parents home to, to one of the most sought after voice guys in the industry. So it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, Same here. And, and don't sell your short, uh, self short, Tim. Uh, I've, I, I'm, I always say this, uh, like I'm always See, grateful. This is why you're the best networker in the world because you always throw it back. No, but it's true. Don't I stop mean, though. I, okay. No, I mean, I, I, I always say this, you know, uh, Tim gave me a break when, uh, some people wouldn't. Uh, my friend Gary gave me a break at the, at the cable station and you don't take advantage. What you do is you use those advantages to learn from and grow and grow. And it's like one of the reasons I did so many voices because you asked me to. Well, you know. I also had no budget. And there you were, this guy, this man of a thousand voices. But believe me, you've made your own uh, breaks and your own Come on, Tim. Over Schwarzenegger's gourmet popcorn. <laughs> Come on. Get to the chopper, Tim. Oh, that's, that's too funny. That's too funny. That was a funny bit. All right. Tony, thank you so much for doing this. And, uh, and hopefully we can chat again soon. Thank you, Tim. That's Tony Daniels, and this is Brand Science, the podcast. The reference Tony made at the end was an old comedy piece we did called Orville Schwarzenegger's Power Pop Popcorn, written by the super-talented Chris Segan for our radio comedy network at the time. Hey, check out the video version of the interview on our YouTube channel. You can go to brandsciencepodcast.com for the link. And don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list for notifications of upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 